For right now, I'd like to share a few more words with you as we take a second look at this summer series I'm calling The Sweet Spot, you know, exploring some of those instances when maybe it is possible to have too much of a good thing. The title slide has this verse from Proverbs, Proverbs 25, excuse me, verse 16. The New Living Translation says it this way, do you like honey? Do you like honey? Well, don't eat too much or it will make you sick. Everybody likes a nice sweet honey. Do you like it? Well, that's fine, but don't have too many sweets because they'll give you a stomach ache. I told you the NIV, which I chose not to print up there, says it'll make you vomit. Um, I chose not to do that because I thought that would be rude to talk about it in church, but so far I've said it every week anyhow. Um, The verse reminds me of this classic story about Winnie the Pooh, right? Going to visit his friend Rabbit and, and Pooh Bear loves honey. And he eats so much honey while he's in Rabbit's house that he becomes so fat he can't even get out of the hole. Do you like honey? Well, sometimes there's such a thing as too much of a good thing. On this Father's Day, I thought it would be appropriate to explore the possibility that maybe, just maybe, too much work is not a healthy thing. And everybody said, Amen! I thought that would be particularly appropriate for Father's Day because I'm I'm very aware that in this culture in particular, many men are defined by what they do for work. It's kind of how we guys are known. We're known by what we do for work. And let's expand that because it's certainly not just the guys. It's not just the dads. It's not just the men in our culture that are defined that way. I think our entire culture has has a very distinct obsession with work. Think about it. We ask kids all the time, what do you want to be when you grow up? And when we ask a kid that, we aren't expecting them to say, well, I'd like to be well-adjusted. I'd like to be healthy. I'd like to be joyful. We don't ask them about the things that are really, if we're honest, probably most important in life. We expect them to say, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a nurse. I want to be a fireman. I want to be a a teacher or a policeman. We're asking little kids, how are you going to define your value to the culture based on what job you have? When we meet new people, we don't ask them, what's your passion and what gives you joy? We ask them, so what do you do for a living? right? We're obsessed with this. We tend to look up to people who are successful in their careers. And it's interesting to me that even in the church, perhaps especially in the church, we almost universally ask successful career working people to serve in leadership roles in the churches. When was the last time you saw a homeless guy get nominated for the deacon board, right? It's almost like we equate career success as as the number one indicator of spiritual maturity and leadership anointing. And what's more, there seems to be plenty of support in the Bible for the idea that good Christians should always be hard at work. I've got a few scriptures that you'll see on the screen. Colossians chapter 3 verse 23 says, Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Anybody in a dead-end job ever felt guilty about this verse? Oh my goodness, i got to process this paperwork as if Jesus himself were watching me. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 33 says, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little falling of the heads to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief. 
right? If you slow down for even an instant, the Bible says you're going to be so poor. Poor. I don't know why I tripped over that word. <laughs> Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse 10 says, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. This is actually one of the instructions that the apostle Paul gave to the church saying, look, it's all well and good that you guys are willing to help each other out, but make sure you don't have any, you know, freeloaders among you. They got to, you know, they got to work for it. And we say, yeah, that's right, they do. And then Proverbs chapter 21, verse 25, I liked this one, so I included it. The craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. If you don't work hard, you're probably going to die. That's what the Bible says. And we could go on and on and on here. It seems when we read the Bible sometimes as if God's word is trying to tell us you cannot be spiritually healthy if you aren't willing to be a hard worker. And I think most of us are saying, okay, is that really so wrong? Because that's why a little over 100 years ago, we came up with this thing called the Protestant work ethic. Has anybody ever heard of the Protestant work ethic? I have this on the screen as well. The Protestant work ethic was a a term coined in the early 1900s by theologians who were writing at the time. They believed that good work, good work was evidence that God had saved you. You see, a lot of theology prior to that time said you have to do good work in order to get saved. Protestants were saying, no, 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 you were saved by grace alone. And then the question would be like, so we don't have to work then? And so they kind of turned it around and said, no, 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 you still have to work hard. It's just that the hard work you do is the evidence that you've been saved. So if you aren't working hard, you probably aren't saved. Right? And so the idea is this. Good Christians should work hard, live honestly, and spend frugally. That's the Protestant work ethic. And I'm making a little bit of fun of it, but you know what? I, I think those things are mostly true, right? Like those, those are good qualities. Father's Day, dads, we want those kinds of qualities for our kids, don't we? You can't be lazy and be like Jesus, because Jesus wasn't lazy. Jesus worked hard, and, and while our identity, of course, should not be wrapped up in our careers, I do think that Christians would do well to be known as hard workers, honest people in all matters. And so that's, I think, where most of us arrive at this idea of work, but then, then Then we read the Ten Commandments. And we go down commandment number one to ten, and not one of them says, thou shalt work thine tails off. (laughs) But right in there at number four, and I'm going to read the text to you from Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse eight. Right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. I think most Christians are familiar with this commandment, familiar with the fact that it appears in the Ten Commandments, but my experience is that most of us don't know exactly what to do with it. We're, we're, we're good with the thou shalt not murder one, right? We're good with the don't make any idols, and most of the rest 
feel pretty good to us. Probably shouldn't tell any lies. Solid on that. Stealing is bad. Okay, we got it. But Sabbath, isn't that a Jewish thing? Right? Like, definitely not Jewish. So what do we do with that? And so I think a lot of times we kind of try to ignore it or spiritualize it. Well, it, you know, it's a symbolic Sabbath and it means this or that or the other thing. Last spring when we were all in what you might call forced Sabbath, sheltering at home, wasn't restful for most of us though, right? Last spring, I actually did a sermon about Sabbath. If you're interested in my thoughts on the matter, what I believe the Bible says about Sabbath in particular, you can still find that sermon on our YouTube page. March 29th of 2020, I preached it. It's still up there. It was back when I was preaching just Garrett behind a camera, and we were putting it on YouTube for y'all to watch in your living rooms on Sunday morning. I'm not going to do that sermon again. This is not a rehashing of that, but there's probably going to be a few things I say today that are reminiscent of some of the things I said back then. The thing is this, I think that our struggle to find the sweet spot in our work, it's about more than just the Sabbath, folks. I mean, there's a lot to say about Sabbath, but it's about more than that. This is about our cultural compulsion to place all of our confidence in how hard I can work, right? All of our confidence in how hard I can work. This is about that lie that we tell ourselves and each other. If I work hard enough, I can accomplish anything. If you put your mind to it, there's nothing you can't do, right? Folks, we need to be aware that that is a lie from the pit of hell. (laughs) And maybe that's a whole other sermon too. But it reveals the fact that in our culture, we have some values that are very, very distinctly American, but they aren't necessarily godly ones. We've made an idol out of our own work ethic. And my evidence for that is how the world thinks about taking a break. The world doesn't say don't take any breaks, but think about how the world tells us to take a break. We say things like, man, I, need to, I just need to recharge my batteries. In other words, I've expended every last ounce of energy. I've, I've given everything that I have. I need to clear my head. I need to just blow off some steam. We don't take a break until we feel like we absolutely have to or we will stop functioning. And when we do, what do we do in the world when it's time to rest? I'll tell you what we do. We binge an entire season of our favorite TV show. We spend the entire day with Netflix on. We sleep the entire weekend. We just absolutely crash. Or we go to the other extreme. We party so hard, right? I work hard and I party hard. And it's okay because what happens in Vegas in Vegas, right? I mean, not in this church, of course, but other people I know, right? It's like, I need to just blow off some major steam. That's what rest looks like to the world. And then as soon as I'm done with that, you better get back to work quick because somebody, somewhere out there, somebody's working harder than you are and they're going to take your job and they're going to be your ruin. So you better get back to work quick. Folks, I don't think that that's a very biblical view on what work looks like or what rest looks like. I think the Bible has a far richer description of both of those things. And it starts here. Regular times of rest. Let's talk about that. Regular times of rest remind us of our heritage. Now, when I say the word heritage, 
I'm not just talking about our ancestry. This is Father's Day, but I'm not talking about your heritages and your grandpa and your great-grandpa and your ancestors and things like that. I want to go deeper than that. When I say the word heritage, I want you to think about the human race and our primeval past. I want you to think about our origins. Literally, I want you to think about our genesis. Regular times of rest remind us of the very character of the God who created us. And if we go all the way back to Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, we read this part of the account of creation. It says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. That was the reference made in the Ten Commandments, right? It was bringing us back to this verse in Genesis chapter 2, saying, We're going to rest because it's gonna remind us that we came, we were a product of the work that God did, and then God rested. I wonder how many of us have recognized, or how often we recognize, that sometimes, in certain circumstances, the most godly thing that we can do is to take a break, to stop working. In some circumstances, the most godly thing we can do is to rest. God created us in his image. He created us to reflect his nature. And his nature included from the very beginning a recognition that when something is very good and when something is complete, we set aside time to just rest in it. We rest in it. And so for the follower of Christ, resting is about remembering whom you belong to. We can rest in that knowledge whether or not we have work to do, right? We can rest in the knowledge of who we belong to no matter how many things are still on our to-do list. We can remember the sequence of creation. I'm not going to read it, but you might recall the sequence of creation in the Genesis account. It says when God got to six, the day six, that's when he created humankind. He created humankind, he stepped back, he looked at the entirety of his creation, and he said, it is very good. And we can't overemphasize the depths of that word he used, but he said, it is very, very good. And the very next thing he did was to rest. Because it was good. He didn't move on to his next job. He didn't start creating some other things. Let's, let's, okay, it's good. Let's do some more. How could we make it better? No, when it was good, he said, it's time to rest, not to take a nap, but it's time to rest in this. Just to be present with his creation. Our commitment to rest then is about remembering his presence with us. That's what happened when God rested. He was present with his creation. When you rest, you are reminding your spirit that God has proclaimed very good over you. And he has determined that the first thing that he wants to do is to be present with you. That's what happens when you rest. But there's an opposite side to the coin, of course, and that is that regular times of rest also remind us of our destiny. So we can look backward in time and, and, and see our heritage, but we can look forward in time as well and see our destiny. The Bible in many places associates work with sin. Now, it's not saying that it is sinful to work, 
But the Bible in many ways tells us that the reason that work is so hard, the reason that work is so much work, is an impact or an effect of sin. And this is where we get terms not just like work, but, but struggle and toil and labor. Struggle and toil and labor are things because of sin. They exist because of sin. They are a result of the sin infection. Now, to most of the world, apart from God, things like struggle and toil and labor, it's just part of the reality. There's no other way. It's all they can know. It's all they can even know to expect of life. But the people of God have been commanded to look forward to a very different reality. It's not all about struggle and toil and labor. Our tickets are stamped for a very different reality. Reality, describing our entry into heaven, Revelation chapter 14, verse 13 says this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. And listen to God chime in. Are you ready? Yes, says the spirit, they will rest from their labor. Blessed are those who enter into the new life. Why? Because they're going to rest from their labor. Toil, no longer a thing. Struggle, no longer a thing. Labor, no longer a thing. There's a blessing in our destiny. There's a blessing in our future. The world struggles and struggles and struggles because their only hope is that their work will somehow make things better in the here and now. Right? That's why I work so hard apart from the Lord. I work hard because it's all I've got. If I stop working, my life is going to get really bad. But maybe, just maybe, I can work hard enough to make things nicer for myself and the people I love. That's all the world has. But people of faith have something more than that. A person of faith needs to take times of rest. So that we don't get caught up in that lie that life is about nothing other than the work we do. We need to remind our spirits that no matter how difficult life gets... We are destined for a restful, heavenly future. Our regular times of rest point us back, but they point us forward too. They give us and remind us of that great hope, that blessed hope to which we've been called. That's what regular times of rest do. Eternity past, eternity future. But let's look right in the middle, because I believe there is a powerful present tense benefit for rest and it looks like this regular times of rest remind us of our purpose and I think this might be the most important reason why we need to avoid the temptation to build our lives on all the work we do yeah work is important I'm with that what we do with the abilities that God has given us it really really matters But what we do is only part of our purpose. Let me tell you what I mean by that. God could have teleported you to heaven the minute you got saved. Did you ever think that? You know, whatever that looks like to you or whatever your point of reference is for when I got saved, many of us might associate that with a specific moment. Perhaps you prayed a prayer. Perhaps you had an encounter at the altar. Perhaps a friend uh, shared the gospel with you and you responded to it. Whatever that might look like in your life, 
whatever you associate with that moment where this is when I got saved, it is possible, it is within the realm of God's capability that he could have said, all right, we got another one. Mike, you're coming home. Zap, and brought him home right at that moment. And Mike's like, yeah, I could have gotten down with that. Right? It sounds like a pretty good deal to some of us. God could have teleported you to heaven the moment you got saved, but he didn't. He didn't. And that's because there's a purpose in each one of our lives. And of course, part of that purpose is is very obviously and plainly connected to the work we do. I'm not saying it's not. Some of our favorite verses and passages of scripture talk about our purpose in this life as it relates to our work, right? Ephesians chapter 2.10, we quote it often. It says, we are created, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, Rich and Laura, I'm sure, would be quick to remind us today that one of the central points in the entire story of Scripture is that Jesus told followers, go into all nations and make disciples. Guess what, folks? Kind of takes a lot of work to do that, right? We've been talking about spiritual giftedness in the last month or so, utilizing, leveraging the gifts God has given us, essentially to do, as Ephesians 4 says, the work of the ministry. Of course, of course, part of our purpose, part of the reason Mike didn't get teleported to heaven the instant he got saved is is God has some work for him to do. That is 100% true. Do you get me? I'm not trying to throw that out. I'm just saying it's incomplete. I'm just saying that's not all that it's about. It's incomplete. Something else is happening. And here's what I think it is. And the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, you can, it's not in your notes, but you could scribble this down if you want. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, we could say, if, if any of y'all are saved, which I think is kind of funny. He's writing to a church and he's like, if, if you got any saved people there. <laughs> but anyhow, that's something else. He says, therefore, if, if, if any of y'all are saved, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. He says the old is gone and the new is here. And he says that's what happened when you got saved. When you got saved, something about you changed. He says new creation is what he calls it. If you read the entirety of scripture, you'll see this concept again and again. And different passages use different terms. Sometimes uh, it's referred to as the divine nature, uh, the new self, our living nature. Really what it is, is what Jesus called just plain old getting born again, right? A new creation, just getting born again. What is that all about? He's saying when you got saved, spiritually speaking, You started looking different. You looked different. That's because you took on the character of your Savior. When you got saved, you took on the character of your Savior. When you got saved, you started looking like Jesus. Some of y'all are thinking, I don't know how much like Jesus I look. I must not be saved. No, 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 no. You got to trust in the word of God. God isn't saying, the Bible isn't saying, start trying to look at Jesus. If you got saved, you better do these things. Otherwise, I might change my mind and kick you out. That's not what Scripture is saying. Scripture is saying, beloved, you're going to have to trust me on this. When you got saved, you started looking like your Savior. 
A new thing happened in your life, a divine nature, a new creation, a born again experience happened. And here's the thing, a huge part of your purpose in this life is to rest in that nature, to hang out and look like Jesus, to just be here all looking like Jesus, like y'all do. Right? And sometimes we just need to rest in that purpose. We just need to rest in that purpose. And this is why. Because God is still inviting lost people to step into his promise of rest. And he will stop at nothing to get the word out. God is the most creative marketer the world has ever known. Right? He will stop at nothing to get the word out. And what the Bible is telling us here is if you are saved, then you are a living, breathing billboard for Jesus. You are a living, breathing billboard for Jesus. And he is using you to advertise to worldly people that he has come that they might be saved. And it's happening right now. It's happening right now in every moment of your life for all of us as we each live according to our divine nature, what we've just read. And so with all that in mind, here's the scripture I'm gonna give you to, Hebrews chapter four. The author of Hebrews is kind of writing about this. And if you read the entirety of chapter four, I'm not gonna read it to you, but he's talking about, he uses the word today, right? We already talked about the past, rest pointing us to the past. We already talked about rest pointing us to the future. But in Hebrews chapter four, the author says, Rest is about today, and he starts talking about today, 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 today. And look at what he says. He says, today, it's not in the book, in verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. So let's acknowledge what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean, oh, so if I get saved, I get to take the day off. Kelly Gregor, are you listening? Right? This does not mean, so if I get saved, life becomes easy and I just, you know, I don't really have to ever work again. That's not what's, what's happening here. But he's saying there still exists. The other, he, he gets very excited about this. He's saying it's still happening right now. People today are entering into the Sabbath rest. But he's saying we got to be aware of this because there are people that still need to enter into that Sabbath rest. It hasn't happened for them. So y'all better start resting in the knowledge of your salvation. Start doing your billboard for Jesus thing because that's how God is drawing them. See, resting, as God defines it, isn't just about taking a load off. It's about resting in that knowledge of your salvation. God knows that not everyone has made that decision. And so he's saying, live out your purpose so that they might see it. Here's here's what this really, really means. God knows that yawning is contagious, right? I'm hurting some of you right now. God knows that yawning is contagious. So is entering into rest. It's contagious. And God's saying, in the here and now, in your life, enter into your rest that others might not, because there remains a Sabbath rest. He's saying, oh, I'm not done yet. 
there remains a Sabbath rest. God has left us here to live out his restful purpose so that lost people will likewise enter in to their rest. Now, all of that being said, I think it's pretty important that we're very particular about defining rest, right? I started by asking, is there such a thing as too much work? I think I've done a pretty good job, please don't debate me right now, but I think I've done a pretty job of saying, making a case for the fact that there is. Bible says there is. There's such a thing as too much. There is a sweet spot for our work, and we can't go to extremes in one, one way or the other. Regular times of rest are important for our spiritual health, but in God's kingdom, rest doesn't mean that we stop doing all work. Think of just the way we looked at it today. We talked about eternity past. We said we rest in our heritage, but in creation, before sin, before the fall, in the garden, Adam worked. He had jobs. He exercised dominion over the creation. He, he tended the garden. The Bible's very clear. He worked. And even God, when he rested on the seventh day, doesn't mean that he went off somewhere to be alone and nap and turned his phone off. When we already said, no, 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 that wasn't the case at all. God actually, for him, rest meant being present, being accessible, being available, being with the creation. We, we talked about rest pointing us towards our destiny, future. We talked about heaven. Don't think for just one moment that there's no work in heaven. Read Revelation. You see a story, a picture of a thriving, bustling city, the new Jerusalem, with activity and all sorts of things going on. There's no toil. There's no labor. Oh, but there's plenty to do. Okay? I'm not saying that we don't work. And in the here and now, we talked about resting in our purpose. I mean, we all know how much work is left to be done. Jesus told us, look, the fields are white, but the laborers are few. Like we, the harvest, a lot of plenty here, but you know, there's work to be done. Finish his work is part of the command of the gospel, right? We aren't saying that rest is about stopping all work. I think that we need to acknowledge today one last thing. And it's this. In God's kingdom, rest doesn't mean laziness. Rest means living according to God's planned order where everything is in its proper place. That's what the garden looked like. Everything was in its proper place. That's what heaven looks like. Everything is in its proper place. That's what your life looks like today when you submit it to Jesus Christ. Everything is in its proper place. Rest means living according to God's planned order where everything is in its proper place. And so, even in times of rest, work is still being accomplished. But it's done in God's strength, not yours. And certainly, certainly not mine. And that's why Jesus invites us to find the sweet spot for our work. Should we work hard? Absolutely, we should work hard. Should we work as unto the Lord, like that, that verse I read at the very beginning? 100%, absolutely. But should our credo be that I never, ever stop working because it is my effort that makes the world go round and causes things to change? Oh, absolutely not. I want to leave you today with these words that Jesus gives as kind of his hallmark invitation to the life that God has prepared for us. They're probably familiar to you. They come from Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I, you know it, will give you 
I will give you rest, he says. He does not say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you a job to do. (laughs) I'll give you a job to do. I'll give you a little Protestant work ethic there. Right? No, 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 no. What is the invitation of our Savior? I will give you rest. He says, you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm not going to read it, but it's very interesting to me that you turn the page from that invitation and the very next story that Matthew tells is about Jesus and his disciples getting in trouble because the religious folks thought they were working too much on the Sabbath. Anybody else smell the irony there? Come to me and I will give you rest. The whole world says, we don't get it, but we're pretty sure you're working the wrong way. And he says, no, 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 no. Come and enter into your rest. So maybe, just maybe, the sweet spot as it pertains to work isn't so much about how we work or when we work. Maybe the sweet spot has more to do with whose work we put our faith in. Is it, is it mine? Or is it his? And if it's his, then when he says it's time to rest, it's probably time to rest. And what that means is, Lord, if you have, if you have work for me, I'll do it. But what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to take my rightful place. I'm going to let you, Lord, take your rightful place. And then we just step back and see what he will do. I want to invite you to just close your eyes. We're going to pray and talk for just a moment as we close the service today. But I sense that this day in particular is a day when you might need to hear anew and afresh the invitation of your Lord saying, come to me. Come to me, Susan and Beth and Jim and Charles, Kathy, because I know how weary and heavy burdened you are. Folks, I'm not trying to get you saved all over again. In a morning like this, I, I know most of the people that are in this room, and I know that just about everybody here already has a saving relationship with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But you know what? There's a reason he put Matthew 11 into the Bible and told us to read it again and again and again. I think that we needed to hear it again and again and again. And so I think maybe today you can hear the words of your Savior saying, Come to me. Come to me. December. Come to me, Kim. Come to me, John. Jeffrey. Come to me, because I know how weary you are. Let me just give you some rest. When I say rest, I don't want you to picture yourself necessarily laying in a hammock binge-watching The Office, playing games on your phone. You might have a chance to do some of that. But before we do that, I just want to be present with you, the Lord says. I just want to be present with you. I think the Lord is reminding you today that on that seventh day when he rested, he showed up. He showed up with Adam and with Eve and together they walked together in the cool of the day. 
And I think he's calling you by name today and he's saying, could we just walk together? Could we rest? Could you, would you be willing? Would you be willing to take your rightful place so that I could take mine? The Bible says the Lord is entering into his rest. Don't worry, it doesn't mean he's taking the week off. It means he wants to be in his rightful place where creation and all that surrounds you is perfectly ordered. And look, here's the truth. In this life, it's going to be difficult to see that. But he's saying, you you have a, a new creation, though. I gave you spiritual eyes. I gave you an ability to see things that the world can't see. So amidst the chaos, amidst the challenges, amidst the trouble and the struggle and the toil, amidst all of that, are you willing in faith to just rest? I believe the Spirit says there's a sweet spot there. There's a sweet spot there. And sometimes, Lord, we go into those moments kicking and screaming because, oh, we are so programmed to work, 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 work. We are so anxious when our hands aren't on it. We are so obsessed with our ability to manipulate and control. It's part of our sinful nature. And that's hard for us. Lord, would you... Would you just tell us today, remind us maybe that we better get used to it because we have a destiny where we will struggle and toil no more. And Jesus didn't come to tell us, hey, think about that happening someday. Jesus came to say that day is now. The kingdom is inaugurated. And so we receive that today. Father, I pray that your blessing would be upon the men and the women, the boys and the girls that are part of this church family, that are receiving this word either here live today or in the recording. Father, I pray that your blessing, that your easy, easy yoke would fall upon your people as we lay burdens down. Lord, I pray that we would be that fruitful people that the word talks about but that our drive to see that fruit being produced in our lives would never become an idol. That it would never become the entirety of our purpose. But Lord, that we would be marked by our ability to just be in the right restful place. May it be so according to your purposes for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody says... Amen. Amen.